0: Well, welcome, everybody. Today, we have a conversation with Randall Nickerson. If you listen to our Aerial Phenomenon episodes, episodes 246 and 247, we spoke of Randall throughout mm-hmm. because of the phenomenal documentary he has made about the aerial phenomenon, the the, the alien sighting at the aerial school in Zimbabwe. We got the chance to talk with him. And if you didn't believe in aliens (laughs) before... (laughs) <laughs> You're gonna now. Just wait.
1: All the footage, hopefully you've all by now have watched the film Aerial Phenomenon. It's available on Amazon and iTunes or uh, Apple movies or uh, however you download from Apple. But there's also some screenings coming up. But it's really interesting to hear in the conversation how long this film took. Because you watch it you oh, it's, you yeah. know, you know a, a reasonable movie length. But to hear how much time he spent not only like on site at the place and then with all the archival footage. It's like he said we were already impressed just what we had seen in the documentary but then to hear there is a three-hour director's cut i'm ready i'm ready to oh, watch it
0: very ready yeah and the just insight he has about this whole i don't know what you industry is it yeah, considered well, an industry field. <laughs> yeah the field field. Of- field is probably a better word it's truly remarkable he was fascinating I want to sit down at dinner and just pick his brain for hours. It's the things he has been told, the things he's seen, truly incredible. And we get to pitch our theory to him, which <laughs> doesn't sound like it's too much of a theory anymore. I'm starting to think it's just fact.
1: Right. I was just say, we said it, and so what do we think? Because, you know, we, we trust all y'all, but then we're like, we got to bring it to the expert And uh, you'll hear his reaction, which we're very pleased with. (laughs) But yeah, enjoy the conversation with Randall Nickerson. If you're in Cambridge, there is going to be a screening tonight, September 14th at 8 p.m. and then September 16th at 1 p.m. at the Brattle Theater. There is a Q&A with Randall afterwards, so make sure you go and stick around for the Q&A because he is so fascinating. He was at the hearing. I mean, you're going to hear all about his illustrious long career with all of this. And if you are in Chicago, Las Vegas, or Miami, they're partnering with Regal Theaters to do screenings. Chicago is September 20th at 7 p.m., Las Vegas, September 27th at 7, and Miami on October 4th. And all of them are followed by Q&As with Randall. So make sure you uh, head to the link in our episode description for getting tickets if you're in those
0: cities. You have to stay for the Q&A because you're going to walk away... With a different opinion than you might have had before, and a lot more questions, and hopefully a feeling of, we're not alone. No,
1: we're not alone. And And it's nothing
0: to be feared. No. Embrace it. It's something to be comforted by.
1: Embrace it and listen to the message from the children that I think it's applicable, whether they got it from extraterrestrials or from wherever. It's a, a, a message we can all benefit from. So yeah, absolutely. check out the link in the episode description, head to our YouTube at youtube.com search Sinisterhood podcast. You can watch the full video version of this interview. It's also available on our YouTube. But other than that, enjoy our conversation with Aerial Phenomenon director, Randall Nickerson. We're joined today by Randall Nickerson, who is the director of the documentary Aerial Phenomenon. You all are probably familiar. I hope you've listened to episodes 246 and 247, where we discuss the unbelievable but very true and well documented account of the Aerial School uh, UFO incident. So thanks for being with us, Randall.
2: Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Heather. And- thank yeah. you so
1: much. Now you've been you're not a, a newbie to the world of filmmaking. You've been in the film industry since the late 1980s. You worked as kind of an actor and a stage and film actor before. What kind of got you into more wanting to do directing and especially documentaries? I think you
2: know, yeah. I did start. I did a lot of stand in work. I did a lot of uh, acting work, and then it was actually September 11th because I was there. I was two blocks away from oh wow the towers, and it was really in that moment that uh i really uh because i documented some of the craziness that happened down there and that was when i really decided like i want to tell stories about things that are real
1: wow like taking that suffering and conveying it and saying this is real and it's happening and you all need to see this you know everybody that can't
0: be there on the ground that's incredible yeah that was a big shift
2: Mm -hmm. and today's the anniversary Every it anniversary, is. I go through this, you know, process of like, oh my god, yeah.
1: And how many, you know, how things have changed since then, and how some things have stayed the same. But mm-hmm. in yeah. in this case, this is your first feature length documentary, correct? With the aerial yes. phenomenon, what it is. kind of, yeah, what? Well, first, let's just start back at the beginning. When's the first time you heard about the aerial school incident? What kind of piqued your interest in that?
2: I heard about it. Well, I actually saw the video at a. Um, some kind of meeting that was, uh, held in Cambridge and it was on a TV, you know, on a stand. And, uh, I, uh, just was struck by their authenticity.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, it was the
2: first time I'd ever seen kids interviewed about such a subject. And, uh, it really struck me quite a bit.
0: That's what stood out to me so much is that not one of these children seemed like they were making it up, every single one of them seemed steadfast and just, you know, very believable. I have two children. You know, you can tell when a kid's kind of making something up and all of these children seemed so credible and it pulled at your heartstrings because you know how likely it is that a kid isn't going to be believed about something, but they were so sincere in what they had seen. Yeah. That's
1: that sincerity. How did you find the clips I
0: guess that would be the
1: most impactful because there's a significant amount of footage in this case right what was your I guess process in trying to find this is the most compelling moment with these children to tell their stories in the best way
2: well there there was an enormous amount of archival that I found over the years that other uh, news organizations uh, had filmed or uh journalists uh so i had a you know a good four or five hours of these kids being interviewed but what it really boiled down to was the the interviews of these children more toward the the beginning of the incident or you know closer to the time it happened Mm -hmm. i mean the other interviews are very valuable i wish everybody could see them because it just it just confirms everything else that's been filmed but the choices around the the material were based around the immediacy of the incident and and soon after that incident.
1: Was that a conscious choice of you wanted to choose that footage because it was the best or because it is the like as far as it is the closest to the incident. So perhaps people that are skeptical would believe it or just that it was most compelling or kind of both. I think
2: it was both, you know, it was very right after the incident, immediately after and then. Uh, the footage that was existed in the first couple months, uh, where these kids were being interviewed, because they were interviewed six months later, a year later, three years later, a year and a half later. I mean, it's and the story doesn't change. It's just right. you know, relative to the immediacy of, of yeah. the incident.
0: Even twenty years later, their stories haven't haven't That's changed. Perfect. Very true. Well, you were the first person to kind of tackle this topic. Because it was such a big deal, why do you think it was so long that it took someone like you to come along to make a feature documentary about this subject? I
2: think uh, the, the Harvard professor, Dr. John Mack, that, uh, he was, after his visit to Zimbabwe, studying this incident, he was planning on making a documentary. Um, it never got completed uh A couple other people also tried to make a documentary mm. with about this uh this event and uh it was uh, there Africa was a big hold up uh mm. depending on the political situation in the country and uh different people that owned footage and this and that so uh i don't know I just went for it. You know, I, I got yeah. on a airplane to Africa in a very, uh, I wasn't supposed to be in the country because of the political violence, wow. but it was one of those things. I just like, you know what? I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it now because I don't know what's going to happen down the yeah. road. Maybe I may not even be able to get into the country. So
0: did you encounter any kind of political strife yes. or pushback while you were there? Really? I mean, they were—they
2: did not want any Western journalists in the country. You know, I had cameras and tripods, and uh, we had the CIO, which is basically their intelligence service, following us. Wow! Once we got into the airport, and then ran—I ran into them again at the library, and that's—that's um, that's when the New York Times reporter got arrested. Uh, he was put in jail, wow. but he was staying in the you know, Harari, which is the, the, the capital. And mm-hmm. I was staying in a shack, literally a shack, wow. <laughs> no, no hot water, no, no, nothing, no electricity. Um, but it was like three hours from the city. So I okay. was very, no one was going to find me, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: But, yeah, You're kind of away from that.
2: Times when I went in to speak to government people that I was definitely, uh, very concerned.
1: Yeah. Wow. And was that your first trip there as, uh, like, a fact-finding mission initially? Or did, is that the trip you took that was shot later? You did multiple that trips out the there? That was a
2: fact-finding mission. Uh, it was also to – it turned into tracking down the, the, the children now. Uh, mm-hmm. Once I got to the school, because I had all, all kinds of stories that it wasn't there, that it burnt down, that, oh. uh, you know – and then I got to the school through a South African reporter, Nikki Carter, who was wonderful. And her and I went into the country, kind of, you know, under <laughs> undercover. Um,
0: yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah under the a, dark of night. Movie. Yeah, it was very. Uh, <laughs> it was pretty wild, and uh, and I have to commend her because she took the same risk I did. You know, mm. we both took a risk, and yeah. So we got to the school you. and, you know, there were three teachers there who were at the incident itself. And from my perspective, I was like, so what happened? You know, I was open minded and like, did did this just get made up or, you know, what? Well, how did this happen? And then, uh-huh. then the teachers are saying, oh, no, it really happened.
0: Wow.
1: That was just the mind-blowing part of it is the the steadfast nature of belief in those old interviews with the teachers. And I believe it was the third grade teacher that just said, no, I know my students. It's like what Christy said earlier, you know your kid mm-hmm. and you know whenever they're just kind of spinning a yarn versus, and she just seemed with the kind of the incredulity of everyone around her, you saw that. Was that something that you they were just wore their heart on their sleeve right when you came in, they were willing to talk about it. Or was there any resistance to bringing up the past or anything?
2: Uh, no, they were very open about it. I don't think that had anybody there for an awfully long time to talk mm-hmm. about it.
0: Did you get the sense that they were like just yearning to talk about it? And that, you know, like no one had come around for them to tell their story to, and now they were getting the opportunity to.
2: That's true. I found that, um, mm-hmm. that. the the Even the groundskeepers who were there really wanted to share what they observed and what they heard mm-hmm. during that time period. Uh, the teachers, you know, some of the teachers that actually saw things themselves.
1: Wow,
0: right. Uh,
2: which isn't really in the movie at all. Um,
0: yeah, I don't want to keep
2: it to just the kid's story at this point. Um, but they were, yeah, they shared quite a bit with uh, about their own experiences and their own feelings about it. And uh, that was great. And then I started to collect all the names of the students that were there. And then put up Mm -hmm. a Facebook page, Uh, this woman Robin Jurd, volunteered to put up Facebook page so we could start getting uh, people in contact with me. And uh, I started to meet the kids, you know, one by one over years, and you know, when I'd go to an interview, I'm like, I don't know what he's going to say. You know, is this it? Like, mm-hmm. One interview could end the entire story if there's right. something <laughs> Right? There if they or, admit
1: or, it, it was me the whole time. I was yeah. like, <laughs> I ran around, it was me. Well, I was going to ask the archival footage mm. juxtaposed with the modern interviews is so powerful in that there is such consistency. But mm-hmm. was there any interviews with the adults now that had been witnesses, you know, that children at the time, adults now, you know, one of their answers surprised you, or you were, you know, it was a piece of information that hadn't been widely reported that, you know, you kind of captured by talking with them uh, now in the in the future uh
2: yeah i would say i mean i was shocked pretty much every single interview by how honest and uh how it was the same story they told us children and mm-hmm. this is the thing that got me because a lot of the interviews that were done with the children the children never saw ever
1: right that's
0: powerful so when
2: i went to interview them you know they they didn't know what i knew
0: Wow! Yet,
2: they repeated the exact same story twenty something years later.
0: That adds to the credibility even more. That yeah, for sure.
1: That it was footage that was in an archive that they would not have had access to. They would not no have been had able had to watch it or memorized it. Sinisterhood will be right back. I thought, and and obviously she becomes a, a large part of the story, Emily Trim, that was extremely mm-hmm. compelling that she was extricated so quickly after the incident. Yes. What was it right. like making contact with Emily for the first time? Was she uh, at all hesitant to get involved or, or how, how did that kind of come about?
2: Uh, when I first met her and interviewed her, she was pretty upset because yeah. she was just mm. kind of revisiting it herself for the first yeah. time. And that's when I first interviewed her, and she cried through a lot of the interview mm-hmm. um, because she really not, never got a chance to speak about it. Yeah. Um, she was likely interviewed as well as her uh, brother at the time, but their parents, I believe, made sure those interviews didn't go
0: anywhere. Wow. Um, they so, seem like
1: yeah.
2: And then they moved to Canada right away because yes. of that.
0: Yeah, and she speaks in the documentary about how being just, you know, taken away from anybody that could relate to you and commiserate with you was so detrimental to her mental health and how her brother never really talked about it. Even as an adult, like finally her parents kind of tiptoed around it. So as a 12-year-old being just ripped from your fr- not I mean moving away from your friends in any school is That's hard, hard. Yeah. but when you've gone through such a traumatic possibly event life changing for sure and then you have no one that can relate to you until you come along and give her a platform I I my hat's off to you for staying in a shack a literal shack 3 yeah. hours away just to capture <laughs> these these kids stories because yeah we we are so passionate about telling people stories that don't normally have a voice and you know on a larger platform mm. so you have given all these kids that and i hope that emily and all of them have found a sense of closure that perhaps they didn't have before
2: yeah i think I, i've given them a voice and i don't know closure for all the different individuals is going to be their own yeah how how they deal with it you know um but the interesting Part of this, too, that is not in the movie is all the other people I interviewed who didn't want to go on camera that had the same story, the same everything. Um, Why was
0: there? Were they fearful of how they'd be perceived to the public? Mm.
2: Fearful of repercussions in their work Mm -hmm. or family. Um, So that was was interesting and telling in itself.
0: Yeah, right.
2: He, you know I inter- I even interviewed uh, children that were n- not at school that day and mm-hmm. then they and, and asked them about when did you got back to school did you hear about it and did you believe your friends and they all of course said of course we, see. we could tell our friends had been through something
0: yeah, um, yeah. so there's, a,
2: there's a, a large amount of interviews that were that never made the movie because of uh, people fearing repercussions or ridicule.
0: Well, and that is so telling because you see in a lot of, if it was a hoax, people want that fame and mm-hmm. a chance to, you know, get in front of a camera. And if you're like, I don't want to talk about this, that's adds even more credibility that, you know, I mean, they're not in it for fame or limelight. They're just trying to cope with what happened to them.
2: That's true. Yeah. And and you'll see it still. I mean, we don't see any of these witnesses trying to make a career for themselves. It's yeah. not.
1: Yeah, we're not um, seeing best selling, you know, like tell all right. books or. And I'm encouraging them, like,
2: you guys got to write your story. And, Please.
1: Yeah. It's you know, yeah. very hard.
2: It's very hard to write your yeah. own story sometimes when you're dealing with the unknown, you know?
1: It is. Yeah. It's hard to be the one to stand up and say, yes, this is real and it happened to me when it is something so anomalous like this. Do you think the ones that agreed to participate in the film? Or not? Do you think? But the ones that did participate in the film were they more likely or more happy to do so because they knew they wouldn't just be alone? It's not just their story; almost they have this corroboration through the archival footage, and then now your present-day research. Were they kind of heartened by that? And you saw some more sign-on.
2: I I think so. I think everybody was glad that uh, the story was being raised again because it sort mm-hmm. of disappeared between. Yeah. You know, after it was on sightings in 1995, it re- literally disappeared until I got there in 2007 and uh, started filming.
0: Wow. Um, but and yeah, the people disappeared were- Disappeared to like, the public, but for them, every day, they're right. grappling with this. Yeah. Sure so it just builds up. and builds.
2: Oh, Dreams I mean, and was art. an amazing incident.
0: Oh, you know? yeah.
2: And it's like, I, I think they were feeling like, why is nobody paying attention to what happened here?
1: Yeah. yeah, Well, and that's what we felt when we were researching it. I We noticed this gap where you can find articles from 1994, 95, 96, you know, when they there was that kind of push to discredit John Mack and then an inability to do so. And that, you know, everything they accused him of initially in the papers, then you would see six months later, eight months later. But it was almost like there was, it wasn't interesting anymore when it wasn't all a hoax that we could all go, ha ha. It was, you know, this Harvard professor was tricking these students. It was like, oh right. no, there's no hoax here. It's just this like, it happened it's a thing that happened that we can't explain it was like they the media wanted to drop it but when you picked it back up now from start to finish from 07 until in 2017 you all went to film in Zimbabwe what kind of was your trajectory of this story and how were you sorting through all the information over those years
2: uh well 2008 was kind of the first I started in 2007 started to collect some video uh, and, uh, and, and just try to understand the story. And then 2008 was the nine month trip to Zimbabwe and South Africa wow. pretty much lived there and, um, uh, collected a lot of information. And then the next trip was to England where a lot of the children had lived, uh, now and then across the United States. And then I went back to Zimbabwe again. For B-roll and to cover the scene, interview more people, Uh, and then 2015, I went again with Emily and the crew uh, to follow Emily's journey. Yeah. Um, And then during that whole time, we're getting emails from these kids from all over the place, and uh, you know, phone calls and more footage. Of, wow. that we didn't even know existed and we're like, oh my god, there's more more interviews of these wow. kids from back then and uh, so the story kind of evolved through the making of it by because yeah. we didn't have all the material till the end mm-hmm. and once we had all the material it's like okay, here it is all right this is the story and then how do we tell it like do you know I really had to fight quite a bit. Uh, not to have special effects and to really, the special effects to me were the kids' drawings. Yes. Oh, yes. The and drawings
0: really, really were incredible.
1: Like a, That's better yeah. than any digitally created anything like that. Yeah.
0: That makes it cheesy and hokey a bit. But to hear the the um, consistent descriptions of what the beings look like by, you know, a, a large swath of children and, it's, and all their drawings are consistent and the Emily's when they find hers so many years later and it's how she remembered it. I mean, those are core yeah. memories that are for a reason cuz it it was an impact on your life, you know? So I think all of that just adds so much to the credibility of it. How many people would you say since you said not all the interviews are in the film ha- have legitimized and backed up this story? that Uh, were experienced or maybe saw it or, or were there that day?
2: I would say hundreds.
0: Wow. You know,
2: outside the school as well. Yeah. That became a focus uh, for a while for me was um, talking to the other people that lived around the area,
1: Mm -hmm. the native Mm
2: -hmm. population, the other farmers, what they saw. Cause they all, there were a lot of reports, not just from the kids, um, but, a lot of people saw this object flying around, like doing crazy things. And, yeah. um, so yeah, that, that, uh, that was a big focus, but it was, you know, even the children, like they decided not to interview the grade ones and twos and, and kitten to keep them out. Cause they were so traumatized
0: mm, but wow. they decided
2: they didn't want them to draw pictures or anything. They wanted to keep them separated,
0: oh, which I think was rough. a
2: wise move, um, But, uh, so there was far more children than, than, uh, the 62 they claimed at the time because they left a lot of the kids out of the conversation, which I understand. That's
0: so hard too. Yeah. Because if, just because you're younger, you're pulled away from everyone, but you don't have the, um, you don't get to talk about it or process anything. You're kind of being told to shut up and keep it to yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I agree.
1: So, Randall, with the kids that were at the school that were in first grade, second grade, that didn't get interviewed, have any of them either reached out or were you able to make contact with any of them?
2: Yeah, I was able to make contact with quite a few of them. They never had the chance to tell their story because they were kept away from the situation by the school, which I was probably – A smart idea because they were very traumatized, but they were very adamant and actually kind of excited to share what they saw because a lot of those younger kids were in a different perspective, you know, came from a different perspective, which was closer to the school in their little playground area with the swings and the seesaws. So they had a, uh, a lot of them had a different perspective from a little bit further away. Wow, Their story is very interesting.
1: Well, and did their stories kind of, I'm assuming, dovetail and corroborate everything that the uh, the students that were interviewed at the time said?
2: Yes. The only thing that really struck me uh, about those younger kids who were out on the playground before the other ones, they said that they were already there.
0: The, sp- the craft and aliens were already there.
2: They were already on the wow. playground. So that was consistent. Wow, interesting amongst those younger kids. And that, to me, isn't a, a whole entire other story in, in a way. It's the precursor of what actually the movie's about.
1: Right. Um, and and the same when you interviewed locals, you know, folks living in the immediate area. And then we were both really struck by the interview with Chief Namanwa as well as Duke uh, Muzona, who were both from different areas, but were able to provide not just a local perspective, but almost that empathy of like what you saw was real. Did you find that permeated throughout the local people that you interviewed that, you know, maybe didn't get on BBC at the time back in the day?
2: Yes. You know, people, people see a lot of things over there that are, uh, particularly around this incident. You know, people talk about, oh, it's a Western world phenomenon and, it's pretty widespread in Africa. A lot of people have seen these types of craft and even these creatures, amazingly so. But it's it's just it it just emphasizes that this is really a worldwide uh, phenomenon.
0: So people there had seen the same types of beings that the children reported on different days. So yes. One might say these these beings had been visiting that area for quite some time and were seen multiple times.
2: Yep, in different countries surrounding that area in that country particularly. Too. Yeah,
1: I
0: was I was struck when Chief Namanwa when
1: Emily is explaining it to him. You know, especially having been taken so quickly away from the area around the incident where she could relate that look of just a uh, relief when she is able to speak with him, and he says a person of authority who has a lot of wisdom and he can say to her, we've got those too. Yeah. We experienced that. How mm-hmm. powerful was it for you to see Emily being validated as she was and kind of her reaction to that afterwards?
2: Yeah, just, it was very powerful. Uh, and it, it, it kept happening with, uh, Shamba, the chief. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. we were, I was doing an interview with Shamba, it was very, I think, uh, healing for, Emily. Um, oh,
0: I'm sure. Oh yeah. Yeah.
2: But I, I, mean, he started to talk about his own encounter with these things and I, I'm, I'm filming Emily and him talking. I'm like, Oh my God, I gotta, I gotta sit this guy down. I know he's seen mm-hmm. them. He's describing them in how they move and how they never are alone. They're always, they always have partners. That's how he said it. Mm. And, um, Interesting. he said a lot of things. I'm like, he's seen them, you know, there was just no, yeah. Yeah. but yeah. So the indigenous culture was, uh, and they also have different names for these things, you know, over
1: mm-hmm.
2: hundreds and thousands of years. Um, mainly the talkalash and there's other names for it. Um, but it's basically the same thing, mm-hmm. basically the same creature that and they've we known about it. for a long time.
1: Well, the, yeah, wow. your, the cultural competency with which you handled this, not coming in either from a skeptic or a definitive, it is aliens from outer space being like an unexplained phenomenon here happened. What could it be? And I think taking it to those, uh, you know, those natural little conclusions of speaking with an indigenous culture. And what was kind of the reaction that you've gotten from the audience? Because I do think because you've couched it in such an empathetic way of these are these people's stories and then also this is the local culture this is something that has been you know at least in some areas sort of taken as a a, a thing that happens like yeah that happens to everyone sinisterhood will be right back What was some audience reactions or even critical reactions that may otherwise have said, ah, it's just another UFO movie? Whereas because of the the skillful way with which you framed it, were you did you receive perhaps positive reaction from some people that would otherwise have been kind of skeptical and poo-pooing it?
2: I, I've received a lot of positive reaction and I think that's the reason why is I didn't, you know, follow the UFO genre, you know, of, yeah, you know, a host and Somebody telling you what this is, the special effects, all the kind of hokiness. I
0: yeah, wanted cheesy. to really
2: tell a film about real people that yeah. something really happened to. And you sort did. of Very on the inside of it, you know, rather than, you know, what do they feel? Like everybody in the film yeah. is first, first person. They were either there or they were there interviewing or they were there investigating everyone's first person. There's no second person stories, no second yeah. hand, secondhand. Um, So that was kind of the goal. And I, people seem to, um, to like that, uh, that it's being treated like any other documentary would be treated oh, about yes. any other subject. Like uh, let's talk to the people and follow their story and hear how they yeah. feel. And
0: treat them with the how. respect they deserve. Yeah. yeah I they- watch a ton of documentaries. That's kind of my thing. And I told Heather after watching yours that, I mean, this is in my top like five of all time because I've never seen a documentary with so much archival footage that immediately happened after the event. And that completely changes it from someone, if it was just the adult interviews, speaking of something that happened. But when you can see these children in the landscape and the environment that this took place in, it becomes a a totally different experience, and one, in my opinion, that like you just can't argue with. It's it's it's. I think it's the most compelling, pro- documentary that we have of proof of life on other planets and beings, because these children just are so believable, incredible, and they're too innocent, I think, to concoct such a story and be able to keep it up for so long. Right
2: yeah and the consequences for lying in that school or making something up and it was a very mm. harsh Christian school mm-hmm. uh, there there were severe consequences for that you know throughout the whole thing I never found any uh other explanations or anything rational and you got to remember all these kids were from different races from mm-hmm. different religions, different cultures that were all different some of them countries. were missionary kids from England mm-hmm. some were from they were from all over the place, so that makes it even more complicated. Because
0: mm-hmm. uh,
2: if they're going to come together about some story, they've all got different belief systems, and True. you know, they weren't. Maybe a few were exposed to, to media. They'd get it you know, on VHS tapes from Canada or somewhere, but
0: mm-hmm.
2: most, all of them didn't have that. Uh, you know, a, a relation to media other than Zimbabwe television, which was yeah.
0: They're not watching X-Files or anything like that to get any of these types of ideas, yeah. No, that's compelling because I think some of the images look, you
1: know, kind of what in South Park they have the visitors and it's like looks exactly like the gray head with the eyes. Well, all of the now kind of media cartoonish, uh, and we've always had like the little gray men, you know, from a couple decades back, but I thought that was extremely compelling that the kids' drawings were what people would write off as, oh, they just saw that on a cartoon. It's like there was not a cartoon that looked exactly like this. And even if there were where they live, they weren't, you know, having a Pop-Tart in the morning and watching that (laughs) specific imagery of it. They lived in a a totally different place, which again, like Mm -hmm. you said, it's like all the stars aligned for this incident to have immediacy of archival footage, kids that aren't otherwise exposed to this, you know, alien kind of trope in media and then having the ability years later for you, to, and then having John Mack come there. So mm-hmm. what, a, and speaking of John Mack, kind of what legacy do you hope to preserve of his, or does that even come in your mind? You know, do you feel like you're kind of taking the baton since he had intended on making a documentary and kind of, you know, taking that across the finish line? How do you kind of feel about his role in all of this?
2: I just feel like he, uh, as a human being, you know, was, a you know, took extraordinary risk
0: to so his much. career,
2: to his personal life, to uh, give his real professional and experience uh, experienced opinion to stand up and say, this is something different. It's not mm-hmm. a pathology that we understand. Like this is behaving like something is real. So is it, you know, and that's really the question he raised. So he mm-hmm. took great risk to do that. And uh, I'll always, you know, uh, commend him for that. Um. And, uh, you know, I, one of the things I like to do in my life is when somebody that you know or care about passes away, you finish one of their projects.
0: Oh, I love that. That is beautiful. I finished my
2: grandfather's piano and, uh, to finish John Max film.
0: That's, that's, my, incredible. that's my
2: gift to him. You know, It really <laughs>
1: is. It's such a gift. And I, I, when researching the episodes, I found myself in the, because when we research, we kind of, Christy often will re, watch documentaries and a lot of footage and stuff. And I love old newspapers. I love to go through old newspapers. And what I was struck in looking at these old newspapers was just how eager everyone was back then to destroy John Mack. Like they just wanted yeah. to annihilate him and throughout it all he maintained such scientific standards with really adhering to what you would expect to see in this type of interviews and then subsequent to that i found it so frustrating and again the at the end of it whenever he's you know facing censure and then harvard goes well yeah i mean he didn't really do anything wrong yeah whatever well that doesn't get the headlines as much as harvard mm-hmm. professor with sex aliens crazy story and then right. when it's like well harvard said he was doing nothing wrong they don't really publish that. So have you felt a sense of satisfaction being able to show the real John Mack, which was not this wacky head, talking head on Phil Donahue or writing this, you know, cr- this the li- li- salacious book. It's more like he was an academic who had a heart and a compassion. Have you been able to kind of see the turn and uh, attitude towards him or like his legacy in a different light?
2: I think it's, it's turning. You know, I think yeah. uh, his contribution for sure will be, recognized down the road. But what Harvard actually did, and they were very successful at doing, was destroying his reputation amongst mm-hmm. his peers. Yeah. And Putting him in that
1: office. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what
2: they really did. And, and I, I think that's horrible. Uh, I understand mm-hmm. that they were very freaked out about one of their professors, a Pulitzer Prize winning professor at that, uh, speaking out about something they were very nervous about. Mm Um, so, but the fact that
0: he did that and took those risks to give these children a voice and be heard is that's, you know, the utmost admiration for someone that's willing to put all of their own personal things on the line to help others. Yeah, it
1: made me. It makes me think of one of our listeners, I think told us about Dr. Semmelweis, that first doctor who was like, maybe we should wash our hands after touching the corpses to help them. And they're like, he's crazy. He's telling everybody there's secret little (laughs) bugs on your hands that make you sick. And now Mm. if a doctor said, Hey, I've just touched a corpse. I'm going to deliver your baby without washing my hands. You'd call the police. And so it's, Mm. I think we're going to see as time progresses, the more and more we learn and as a society and grow, we're going to go, Oh damn, John Mack was right. Randall Nickerson (laughs) was right. Like <laughs> years later, mm-hmm. do you, what do you kind of hope that people gain by watching this film?
2: Um, I hope they understand the stigma that, that has been there. Um, I hope they kind of, uh, if they happen to run into one of these things that they have some guideposts of mm-hmm. what might happen. Right. And what the emotions you might go through are. Uh I think that's important.
0: Yeah, I told Heather that, that I had never considered how isolating it could be to have an encounter with a being like this until this documentary where you really do see like how it impacted these children at the time. But then 20 years later, they're still feeling those those feelings. That uh, being able to show that is what I think, you know, just really sold it for me. Yeah, Yeah. that
1: legacy of or the the impact of, oh, I'm so afraid of being ridiculed or made fun of. I won't even tell my fiance or I won't even
0: tell my Mm -hmm. husband that this happened or my family. I'm not allowed to Mm -hmm. talk about it with my parents, you know, that all taking that stigma away. So where, you know, with everything, if the more we can talk about it, I think the healthier it is, especially when it's something like this. What, what have you thought about all this influx of news about possible UFOs
1: or the government confirming? Or Is it bittersweet because it's exciting at once? But on the other hand, you're like, well, in 1994, everyone kind of dogpiled on these kids and this professor, this you know, psychologist, and now all of a sudden there's government hearings about it. You know, how's that been to watch play out?
2: Uh, I think it was great. I was actually a- at the hearings. I was in oh, the wow
1: tell me everything.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. I was there the night before at nine o'clock at night
0: because
2: wow. I wanted to be there just as yeah. uh, to, to, you know, to support these guys that were taking okay. the risk
0: to Again. bring out
2: some truth. And, uh, mm-hmm. I think, you know, the more, the better is how I feel. I feel like there, this is an enormous thing for humanity. And mm-hmm. I know it's going to take time. I, I want to do whatever I can to help the situation in any way possible because there's what other more important f- for me? It's like there's nothing more important. Knowing yeah, that right. happening, um, so uh, I'm pretty, you know, happy and ex- excited that we may make some progress, and then there's a lot of things that are going to blow our minds and, um, and, you know, finding out we're not just the only ones out here is can uh, actually help us also. I mean, we we may be in a position to learn an enormous amount and evolve in uh, ways we never thought of because of uh, maybe potentially being in contact with these creatures. Well, I think, I don't think we're going to see them until they realize like okay, Earth has got it. That they know we're here.
1: Yeah, they're not going to bother. Mm. You know? <laughs> well, we joked about it on the on the show because we're like, yeah, if you were an extraterrestrial and you came to Earth and go, oh my God, they eat animals. They just eat them. Oh, and they <laughs> shoot. They, <laughs> they annihilate. Shoot I mean, with guns. Yeah, you. Yeah, I'd they, turn they shoot around and children with too. guns. They blow up the. You know, their n- nuclear weapons. They have these arsenals pointed at each other. And then yeah, you might go, oh, what are they going to do? They're they think each other are outsiders. We're real outsiders. Like we better shut mm-hmm. up until they're they. So that's why tell everybody can we just achieve world peace so that we the aliens will actually make themselves visible because (laughs) until (laughs) then i think they're only going to choose like children like a a vessel that's willing to listen with an open mind and an open heart
0: Mm. not no judgment
2: i i I think you're right and i think you know a lot of these visitations around our military and nuclear bases and things are being said to us it seems in many ways Mm. that uh I don't know how long it's going to take us to get these things, but. Uh,
1: get the message. I, I
2: would imagine that once we um, really understand the gravity of the situation and the potential gains that we could make as a species, uh, I think um, we're at this pinnacle of like major climate disasters. Yeah, and-
0: yes.
1: Sinisterhood, we'll be right back.
2: I mean, of course they're here. You know. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're showing they're up. Probably not a lot of Earth like planets, you know. There are you know, yeah. there's I I know there's probably billions of them, but each one is unique. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if this if this species is aware of all those, they sure probably don't want to lose them
1: because mm-hmm. they're it's
2: biological like- gems, you know. So that's my, my take on it.
0: I was just about to ask, in your opinion, do you think beings like this are coming here and visiting to help us avoid, uh, you know, just collapsing in ourselves or to um, kind of get a lay of the land because they know our time's about up and they're like, well, (laughs) where do I want to live once they've destroyed themselves? Like coming in and getting some like, uh, you know, just scoping it out. Or is it, uh, you know, more sinister or is it just curiosity? What do you, what do you think the reason for these visits are?
2: I, I don't think it's sinister. I, I think um, considering that they're able to do some of the things they can do technologically and with space time, yeah. um, I would imagine they went through what were, we're you know, similar to something we are going through a long, long time ago.
0: That's what so, we both believe, too.
2: They're here, you know, likely for resource, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they're here to take over the planet. That's not yeah something I've ever really thought about because it's just, I don't think that's the reason. And, and I, mm-hmm. I really do feel like deeply that they're trying to evolve us, help us mm-hmm. uh, get to the next level. Because we're just does, entering yeah. space, you know, we're just... Mm-hmm beginning to leave our solar system with a few probes. And, and it's a critical time. um, I would think uh, for any other species out there to, to really keep an eye on us before we get out of hand.
1: Um, That's a good point too. (laughs) And we hurt ourselves, honestly, because they do seem more benevolent because they could have just snatched up all those kids. They could have (laughs) destroyed They could have just, you know, whatever. For as it kills me when you hear, Whoa, we can't make contact. We're, you don't know what they're going to do to us. Like if they can fly here or appear here, they already have annihilated us. If for they sure, we to. could have been zapped. So I agree. Yeah. It seems more of a benevolent person
0: or curiosity or something like that. Or like you said, resources. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's something here that to us is nothing, but in wherever their planet is, like you know, twigs like, are a need thing, those twigs. and they see twigs, you know, <laughs> so they're just landing in forests collecting. As much wood as they can get.
1: Yeah, no, for real. I think that, that it's just so many possibilities. Well, who do you think, if uh, your choice, the they come, the visitors come to the planet, and they say, "We just want to talk to one person." Who are we <laughs> having them talk to? One person that's not that's going to not mess it up. It's going to talk to them reasonably, rationally, and work it all out for everybody. I have mine. Everybody choose yours. <laughs> wow.
2: I never thought of that. I just. Uh...
1: I can be wrong, but my vote is Hank Green. Like, I feel like Hank Green is such a good scientist that he could, he could vet the science part, but he's also such a great communicator that he could communicate whatever message from us to us. So personally, I'm just starting this campaign that when the time comes, not the president of any country, Hank Green is
0: my vote. <laughs> Okay, I want to nominate Randall because I feel like you've done yeah, so much you, research. Yeah, why am I? Why that am I you can angry? easily uh, speak to them, and they'd probably like to see, you know, past, we all like to see old videos of ourselves. <laughs> I want to switch my vote because also then they would say,
1: we just want to see who made this movie because this actually got it right. Whoever right. made this documentary is who got it right. Take us to your director. You might be like, take us to your leader. Take me to your director.
0: Uh, leader because is ubiquitous.
1: Exactly. It's the leader. Say. But truly, because it was handled with such... Uh, great communication of getting that message across to audiences in a way that wasn't here's an, this was an alien and I'm going to tell you why, but let's just listen and be empathetic and see what we learn when we open our minds and take in available information. That's the the information's been there. All you have to do is take it in. So Christy's right.
0: I take back my answer. it. (laughs) It was less even about the aliens and more about the impact it had on the people that witnessed it. And that those are the stories that, connect with me more because I want to know, you know, the, the person behind this happened yeah. to, and this film did that beautifully. Context. Mm-hmm.
2: I think the way it's been happening and probably the way it will continue to happen is people become more aware and they they get into a position where they're more open-minded and then they see something. That's usually mm. what happens. And it's almost like these creatures know when you're ready.
0: Oh, you know? I love that interest so we must make I've our seen it
2: enough to, to 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 create a hypothesis around that. Um but I think they, these things know exactly where we're at and they're waiting for us to grow. And part of that growth is letting people know that they are actually there. Mm. Um but we'll see. Would you
0: say that there's m- multiple species that have visited or is it all kind of from the same wherever they the same planet for lack of a better word
2: i think there's one particular species um i i've heard of others i've just never run across it in all my investigations um man 90% of the reports are all pretty much the, the same um the, the same
0: of, look and everything that, that the children said
2: yes and and you know you, you know people don't realize that didn't that none of that image didn't come That body configuration did not come from science fiction. That came from real reports way back in the 40s and different, you know, that that Mm -hmm. image is... Stuck around the the gray
0: head, the big gray head, and the small body. Yeah, it's
1: fascinating. When I was in Marfa, I found this book at a store at a just like this weird little bookstore that had all of these clippings that it's almost like an archival, you know, just across the years. And it's done in an artsy way. But looking at it, you're right. I noticed this repeated trope of a description that was then taken by Hollywood or novels or whatever. And I think as Now, you know, I'm born in 1986. So for me, looking back, I'm like, oh, well, it's all aliens have always looked like that in movies. Therefore, Mm -hmm. if someone says they've seen an alien from movies, but what happens when you actually look into the information and through this show, we've had the opportunity to do that and say, what you said is right. Oh, no, this is. Hollywood stole it from people's mm-hmm. real experiences. And okay. then that, then later when people have real experiences, they're just sort of gaslit and told, well, yeah. you got that from Hollywood. And you're like, no, yeah, right.
0: You're like, no, the chicken came before the egg. The I was there before the Hollywood. Egg. Well, and also like, because I think we, we all think that they are a highly evolved past version of us that when you look at evolution and, you know, I mean, that is from an evolutionary biological standpoint, that is how humans will evolve is, is to look like. So it makes sense from both like a scientific and spiritual standpoint, in my opinion of like, I think we can marry those two things because they, I think there's evidence on both sides. Yeah. Strong evidence from science too, that this is and who are we to think that we're the only people in this universe? How arrogant that we that our planet would be the only planet with life.
2: I think science is going to pull this through more than anyone. I mean, I'm glad that there are many people speaking out, and I'm going to continue to speak out, and
1: us too. Well, whatever mm-hmm. we can do to the extent anyone's listening.
2: But and and you know, we're just going to have to figure out what all this is about, really, because I I don't have a. All the answers by any stretch. Just the fact that something major is going on, and I really what what drives me is that we might want to pay attention to it. It may be yeah. very urgent, and to mm-hmm. find out exactly what the the this species agenda is. You know,
1: mm. well, ignoring it may be at our peril
2: because minds change. You know, true. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I think we all, everyone, likes to assume the worst, but if you flip that and say, what if they're trying to help us? Because they've been there and they've already lived through it. And they're like, you can, if you just cut this one thing out, it's going to make a world of difference for you. And because yeah. we, we fear what we don't know, we, we don't listen. Right. Not take the good advice just because of who it's coming from.
1: Sinisterhood, will be right back.
0: Heather and I have a theory that if I may, <laughs> I want to run past you to see if you what you think. I believe we, this, by the way. <laughs> we we here. both believe this, and we in th- honestly, your film, the children's description kind we were like, see, we really think that there's some kind of portal or space time or a wormhole or something like within the ocean somewhere. And perhaps there are aliens even down there or they can travel from the ocean through space because that would ex- explain like the glimmery, watery look, the wetsuit look, the the paleness, paleness of being, large. you know, in such large eyes. It's, you know, like fish that live deep at the the Mariana Trench or something. Do you think that it's not just up above, but as above, so below?
2: Likely. Um, mm-hmm. you know, when, uh, when we go to war in Iraq or Afghanistan or wherever we go, we, we create a forward operating base, right? We move a base and build a base right, right near the place that we're interested in. True. Uh, yeah. I would expect that these things probably came from very far away, but created some kind of, uh, base of operations close to us for, for their reasons and that makes mainly sense. scientific. That really so I've interviewed people that have witnessed these things in Africa come out of the ocean, go into the ocean.
1: There so I don't
2: doubt that at all. Uh, it's a mm-hmm. huge place. A lot of these, the, the places they come out and into the ocean are very deep. It's, mm-hmm. you know, they'll come up when it starts to get shallow, which I find fascinating. It's like, oh, they have to come up. They have to because they don't have enough room below them, and they have to come up, and then they go to another deeper spot. I don't know what's going on, but the, there's a connection to Antarctica. There's, I mean, I've just done so many interviews of people that have witnessed this stuff in Africa. Yeah.
0: That
2: is, it really raises your um, – It just, you can't just rule this out when you hear it from so many different people.
1: Or we covered the unidentified aerial phenomena that came out with like the, you know, Admiral Nimitz and all that, you know, where we, the tic tacs coming up and out and it looked like they were coming up out of the water. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, is it that they went down there to hide or do they go down there to park or refuel or, you know, whatever? Go (laughs) back to where they live. Yeah. Yeah. They're at mm-hmm. least you know, on
0: temporary assignment. It makes sense. It does make sense. No, and it ma- I yeah. never really thought about setting up a base, but that makes sense too, is that perhaps it's not just like they come here and then they go there, they're mm-hmm. here. And then they occasionally go, go back away. to where they're from and take the resources mm-hmm. back or whatever. Yeah. Well, out, yeah, up, I mean,
2: the shore. basic operation is like, you know, you set up your base of operations close to the target. And then you occasionally get resupplied from your main country or planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, you know, under the ocean, I mean, the if they're, they're going to go to the extremes of places we can't go. And that is the ocean mm-hmm. at these yes. extreme depths that we can't even get to. No. Uh, except a few... Uh, rovers, and then you know, extreme cold in ice and stuff like that. It makes really good sense. Like, yeah, no human beings going to be knocking on our, do- our door.
1: True, at, that's a good point. If you look, you look at the planet and you notice the wide spanse- expanse of the Pacific Ocean where there just isn't land for a long time, and how deep it can go out there, and just how little we've all, exp- you know, we've explored. But man, as we get get down deeper into the depths of exploring the ocean, it would make sense that whatever pressure uh, resistant you would machine you would have to have to survive space would also be able to survive those pressures. Down True. there in the ocean, but it makes um, it makes sense. I'm glad to hear that when we put our put forth our theory to you, that we you weren't like oh, no, no. You're like, well, it makes sense because we. Uh, so did us. it did with us, especially with the uh, the shiny, shimmery. When we started putting it all together, it sounds like there's
0: something going on down there in the ocean. So
1: we got to only five percent
0: of the ocean has even been explored. So imagine how much is what else? I mean, there's a ton out there that we don't know. I would think it's ignorant to oh, think right. that there's not stuff out there like like this well, this is going to sound no. country but it's like owning a lot of land and you don't go back
1: and look at the old corner until you get back there and go someone's built a shack back here right. <laughs> like right. we just hadn't been back there and we're like we didn't yeah. look down in the Pacific." how long has, has that been here yeah <laughs> it's like adverse possession like you got to get them out of here but i don't know if we want to get them out of there I And mean, we might just want to figure out how we can uh, make
0: contact with them or something i like the idea of when you're ready to experience it you will and I just want to say for any of them that are listening I'm ready and I would like I would like you to tell me what I need to know what can I do to change us from all collapsing on ourselves
1: right pass the message on we'll help as much as we can (laughs) Mm -hmm. we're in (laughs) whatever we can do well, you've done a lot of work uh, with this aerial phenomenon movie. What's the next thing on your agenda? Do you have another project you're excited about, or is it related to this or in a different field?
2: Well, I do ha- have the director's cut of Ariel, which is like three hours long, but it's uh, I'll it's, watch it. It's I'm there. really good. So I'm thinking of uh, get putting that out uh, at some point, Thanks. and then I've got two other stories that on the same subject matter that I've been working on. Um, we're
1: excited
0: and can't and wait then i'm
2: wondering well if this you know if all of a sudden the public really becomes aware then then that changes a lot and what 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 is needed at that point you know
1: i love uh, that it's a great so, way to think about it what's needed what kind of story do they need to hear to kind mm-hmm. of help bring everybody a little bit more understanding which is what i feel like the film does so well
2: yeah understanding and and uh reasons not to to, to panic you know?
1: yeah don't panic yeah. and don't disbelieve or shame or ridicule somebody who wants to come to you with like a, a thing that happened to them that felt very real and is real to them yeah. you know who are we to tell somebody that they're uh they don't know what they're talking about listening mm-hmm. is a
2: lost art you know it's like mm-hmm. I've learned over time like you know friend comes to me and they have something going on I don't need to say anything I just need to hear them out Mm-hmm. And they feel better because I do, you know, that I'm yeah. hearing them, taking them in. And um, I don't know, we 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 should probably all do a little better at that or so. Um, I,
0: I agree. I think that's why these children were so, felt so comfortable speaking with you too. You have a very easygoing demeanor where, I mean, I could spill my life secrets to you right now and I feel like you'd keep them. That's so <laughs>
1: <laughs> definitely right. <laughs> same. <laughs> yeah, but
0: that's, that's honestly, pretty boring. I really, I talk about anything embarrassing that's ever happened to me has already been said on, on this <laughs> show. So, but wow. I, um, but yeah, listening and and giving someone um, just the space to talk about it because that all anybody wants is to be heard and, and believed, and the more that we can do that, then the more people will come forward, and then science can't ignore it anymore when you've got so many people speaking up about it. Yeah. There's power in numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it
2: covers all issues, really. You know, Every, yeah. That whole concept of, of uh, hearing people out.
1: Mm-hmm. And listening and telling stories. And we love to be a platform and a, a conduit for stories, whether it's like the students from the aerial school or for you with your filmmaking, or we do Freaky Friday where people write their stories. in. so if we can be a conduit for that story, we're very happy to. And we wanted to tell our listeners where they can watch Aerial Phenomenon, not only on uh, streaming services, but given that it is the 29th anniversary on September 19th, which is just in a few days. You got some special screenings coming up, a couple yeah. in Cambridge honoring Harvard's Dr. John Mack at the Brattle Theater on the September 14th and September 16th. And you'll be there doing a QA. and a What kind of got you uh, hooked up with the Cambridge? Was it just important to kind of bring the film back for John, Dr. Mack?
2: Yeah, I felt that way. I felt like his journey, I wanted to reconnect with his original journey at Harvard. And yeah. I yeah. felt it's really important. So, yeah, we're doing Thursday, the night of the uh, 14th, 14th, and then yep. Saturday in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Saturday actually is the anniversary, 29th anniversary of the incident itself.
1: Oh, yeah. The so, 16th. And The then, 16th, my boy. Yeah, then we
2: move on to uh, Chicago.
1: Yep, and, Chicago.
2: And then Los- – uh, Miami and then Las Vegas.
1: Yeah, so we'll uh, we'll and put all the. You can still get it
2: on Amazon, and uh, mm-hmm. at this point, until we get grabbed up by a theatrical contract, I think, we'll we we'll, you can get it on iTunes and Amazon as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely, and I think the if you, even if you watch it on iTunes and Amazon, I think going to see it at one of these screenings is going to be powerful to experience it with others, and also yeah. have that Q and A experience as well. But yeah, if you definitely if you're not in any one of these cities, don't wait. There's no need to wait. <laughs> Go right now and watch it on Amazon or Apple, mm-hmm. uh, because it is such a powerful and impactful movie. But we'll it be is- putting yeah, we'll put all this all the links and stuff in our show notes. Oh, so that's mm-hmm.
2: I yeah. think the the and because it was made for the big screen, that the impact of watching it on the big screen is far more intense than seeing it on uh, you know a home theater or something. It's mm-hmm. just it was yeah. designed audio and uh, all the the clips and 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 uh, footage was was designed and made for the.
0: Oh, we love it! Do you well, know if, you if any, any Dallas- of the <laughs> survivors are going to be there? Any of the children that are. Uh, have spoken out? Are they going to be at any of them?
2: I'm not sure. I'm going to be. I haven't spoken to a few. They're on the West Coast, so I doubt they'll be there. But uh, mm. possibly in Chicago and possibly in Boston. I just haven't nice.
1: so. well, I hope so.
0: I hope. Yeah. They, I love they can... that it's been a way for them to reconnect, especially in in the documentary when the two girls got to come back together after so long. Okay. And what a thing yeah. to go through with someone, and then never be able to talk to them about it for. Two decades later. Right. Yeah. It'd be good to
1: reunite them and bring them mm-hmm. back together. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, yes. for thank those, you. Everybody listening, you can learn more about Aerial Phenomenon at aerialphenomenon.com, which will be linked in our show notes and episode description, as well as all the screenings coming up for the event's 29th anniversary in Cambridge, Chicago, Las Vegas, and Miami. We'll put all those in the episode description so you can uh, check them out. But thank you so much, Randall, for being with us today. Thank you. thank I you, it,
2: Heather, Christy. Have a good afternoon.
1: Sinister I'm gonna kill you. Pew 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 pew.